Hi, I'm Zainab and welcome to Project Millennial, a space for burnt out millennials looking to live life more on their terms. Here we'll be sharing stories and insights from other millennials and also going deeper into topics like personal development, life, career, money and so much more. Essentially, we're moving away from autopilot and making more intentional decisions. In this next episode, we'll be speaking to Emma Kaur, who is an architectural and interior designer. We'll be talking about how she started her business and we'll also talk about different elements of interior and architectural design. So just to let you know, there won't be an episode next week or the week after and I'll be back again in the first week of January. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Emma, good morning. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm great. It's a bit cold, but we're okay. <laughs> so, Clearly the um, end of the week. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask you to come on and then sort of tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So my name is Emma Kaur. I am an architectural and interior designer and I've recently, well two and a half years ago, set my own businesses up and they are expanding during the pandemic. So it's been a really exciting journey. Oh that's amazing. So we'll touch on that because that's quite exciting that you you say you're you're expanding. Tell us how you sort of came to start working in, in this industry. Sure. So it goes back quite a way. So this might take a while. Um, I started with my college course. I did A-levels and it wasn't really for me. And I reapplied for construction. Um, So I went back to the same college. I started in a room full of guys and I was the only girl in there. And it was quite overwhelming. And I was thinking, what am I doing here? Because it was quite a diverse college and um, I really loved you know the people that I was with but it was like am I doing the right thing like people used to assume that I was part of the beauty school which was like round the corner and I was like no I do construction it's totally different you know like I'm learning about structures and um, calculations for like engineering stuff and people just didn't really understand and I kind of didn't either so it was a bit of a journey for me um, so part of the college course required some work experience and as part of that work experience I decided to work with a a local architecture practice that were just down the road from me and they offered me such great experience I really got involved and really enjoyed what they were you know working on and the different aspects of the work so sometimes we would be in council meetings other times we'd be designing or quantity surveying is that what made you apply for architecture at university? Yeah, yeah, that was the pivot. So, but the architecture side didn't really occur to me until that work experience. Mm-hmm. At that point, we were just about to go into our second year and I started to work with intention because I knew that my goal was to go to architecture school because now I had a purpose. And that really changed the way that I approached things. And I wasn't getting the grades that I needed. And my tutors were sort of like, you know, you're not really going to get in with these grades. And I was determined, like I went above and beyond to get the grades that I needed because that was my goal and I was going to get there and I didn't care how I was going to do it. 
I had a bit of an experience with university as well. So I actually applied for the wrong university because I didn't realise there was two. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they said Nottingham Uni. So like uni in Nottingham. And then on the UCAS website, it had an A to Z of the unis. So University of Nottingham never occurred to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I applied for the wrong uni. So there you go. I'm turning that, up at Nottingham Trent. Trend. <laughs> <laughs> like my life has just been trial and error like this constantly. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get here just by like, you know, doing it all right. <laughs> um, oh my God. So, and I start the course and it was one of them things that, you know, we started the the deadlines and the projects and in my mind I've got a construction head on me and they're asking for concept mm. and you know like quite innovative ideas and arty and and that wasn't my background I was quite technical and I wanted a building to be quite rational and mm. well thought through with the construction materials and that's not what they were after. So I actually found myself getting really low grades throughout the entire first year. And I really, really didn't want to be there. And I struggled so much. I was like, I like it was the worst thing in the world, but it wasn't at the same time. Because it was just that character building, I guess, of, you know, just getting the job done. And, and I had an end goal. It was going to be, you know, over by June. And then in the September, I started at... Uh, the University of Greenwich upon starting the course enrolling they said I needed to start again mm. and I, I just couldn't I couldn't do it <laughs> I just thought I really can't I can't commit myself to this course that I struggle with so hard like mm. it didn't come easy to me at all and I, I just didn't get what I was supposed to be doing it didn't go naturally for me it was really like hard work so I dropped out and that was my architecture days over really so after that I just applied for some local jobs mm -hmm. I, I didn't know where I was going to go I actually mm -hmm. started working in a bank again mm -hmm. and I never thought I'd do that and it was the same thing every day and I thought I can't what can I do because I can't commit to one thing and just yeah. stick at it you know like do well and I was really struggling I thought what well, is this my life am I just gonna start and stop like constantly because that was all that was happening from there um I called my old uni up in Nottingham Nottingham Trent <laughs> I spoke to my course leader and he was like you're gonna have to work to catch up because you're like you've had a year out so you really need to get in gear you know um and what made you back. want to what made you um call them back again i was desperate i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> okay, in all so honesty. You, kinda, you were at the point where you, you kind of didn't know where to turn because i couldn't i, I couldn't relate no i can understand idea. that mm -hmm. i didn't know what i felt like a complete failure and it was literally do i just go and apply for another job i don't care about or do i try again how <laughs> did you how did you approach it a second time then i I changed my approach I think mm. I was sort of more mentally prepared could you explain the course because I know our um the degree is seven years but it's it's broken up isn't it yeah so there's three parts uh there's part one two and three um so in part one that's the undergrad part 
so you you basically do like a reber chartered course which is the royal institute of british architects so my part one was done at nottingham trent university then part two is your masters so there's different options out there now so i think sometimes people can go down a more apprenticeship based course but you go through like a bigger practice like foster and partners or ahmm something like that um, and then the final year is essentially one massive exam mm. so that's your part three between the part one two and three you have work experience it's quite a long process mm -hmm. um but yeah for me i'm i've sort of just taken the approach of that's great for somebody but i'm gonna do my own thing now did you complete all the parts i haven't <laughs> no i am um, I started so basically we went traveling my myself and my partner and we returned to start our masters in Manchester and we had this course so essentially they had this hybrid course and we got to the course and they totally missold it to us mm -hmm. so yeah it was like really disappointing because it was both myself and my partner that we were going to do together we met at uni we were going to carry on together so it didn't really suit either of us. And I'd already set up, in the meantime, I'd set Storm up in the background. That's my, my architecture business. And then, yeah, both of us had to take mm -hmm. the decision to, um, to drop out because it was mm. quite expensive as well. How did you pivot then at that moment of, you know, having to sort of change, change direction when you weren't really expecting, yeah? We, uh, we came back and we took some time out and we moved in to our family home um, and we just started I started my company the thing with architecture is once you have the the sort of education side behind you it is quite flexible and I found quite a lot of people from our course they have taken a different direction whether it's in um, design management or illustration or project management um, or working with developers and you know so there's quite a few different mm. routes from it which is quite nice so you're saying that the undergraduate degree actually gives you a lot of flexibilities afterwards oh 100 percent. yeah definitely and i think realistically it's it's worth having the um the experience of working with a practice because even that in itself there are so many different routes that you can go why did you start storm architecture well, I had I came up with the concept whilst working in Sydney. So Storm Architecture does high-end residential planning and architectural design. So we either approach the project as an existing building that needs um, potentially changing in terms of structure or space space efficiency, or completely reconfiguring the entire build. So. Um, we do a lot of playing around with the, the spaces, uh, the spatial arrangement plans, but we also do new builds um, and I guess like asset improvements as well. So we work with developers, investors um, to maximise the assets of the buildings as well. So it depends, it's completely flexible and every brief is different. 
Um, so okay, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. So I'm going to break it down for as someone who doesn't really understand sort of like property and all of this. Okay, mm-hmm. so what is the difference between construction, like how you were working in construction before or studying construction, and someone who is an or coming at it from an architectural standpoint? Okay, so yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it's, it's totally a different approach. Um, and it's a good, like, the construction knowledge is something that the builders will value and the build team and, the, you know, the contractors um, because that's their background, you know. So the architectural side is the more creative. The way it sounds is like an architect is more of like the visionary Whereas the construction side are, they're more down to the basics. Practical. Yeah. Is this going to work? Yeah, like the buildability of it. Yeah, definitely. I think, especially being taught the construction within the college. So how does it work in terms of getting clients? Is it the case that you bid for them or what's the process? It varies. Um, So when I first set the business up, I'd say probably 90% of our work is actually organic through word of mouth. Um, And at the beginning of setting Storm up, I had, I printed 5,000 leaflets and I only had one client and they were the only inquiry and the only client that ever came from the leaflet drops. So it wasn't that successful. Uh, it did give me quite good exercise. Um, it's also quite nice to be out, you know, on foot because you get to see a lot more when you're on mm-hmm. foot, especially mm-hmm. um, potential opportunities, um, potential building sites, mm-hmm. even in, for investors, you know, you can start to see where there's more like, empty or derelict properties and you get to know areas really well. So it did have its pros, but it also mm-hmm. didn't work in terms of, um, client sort of conversion or anything like that um, so do you um, so when you were handing leaflets out I'm assuming you were going from house to house was that because storm architecture mm-hmm. works mostly with homes so if someone wanted to like yeah. uh, an extra conversion or um, they wanted to do something with their homes is that is that how you help your clients yeah essentially I think so the main message on on the leaflet itself I had don't move improve in bold and it was like bold pink because there's a lot of money that people can unlock just in improving their properties and they don't have to always look for a a bigger house or a a new mortgage or a new area new neighbors you know there's a lot of fees that go into it so um, if it works for the for the sort of people themselves if they're happy where they are and the building's not working for them then that can be massively improved really out of interest like what are the ways that you can improve a home i think um space optimization definitely and storage is really underrated um we find that a lot of times especially even with property viewing so um i've had it myself recently with buying my first home I was going to the house and the house might look fantastic, but if you get into a bedroom and you notice that there aren't any wardrobes in the room, then where are the wardrobes going? You know, so we would have a tape measure and we would be measuring the dimensions of a wardrobe and making sure that it could fit 
and it's just simple things like that you know if people are trying to sell their homes they might take furniture out of the room to make it look bigger but it might not be practical so we always look at um how to best maximize a space now it might be so like as simple as blocking the doorway up or shifting a doorway or you know it doesn't always have to be this open plan huge grand designs it could just be really simple well thought through and we or i always call it you know quality of life through design because it doesn't have to be all singing all dancing crazy architecture it could just be so simple as to work with the client problems and give them solutions mm. um so yeah a massive one for me i'd say is storage um natural daylight is huge how does that come in with interior designing because i know that that's another part of your business as well mm -hmm. well I, I always approach every project with the same set of eyes you know if I can see that there's ways to improve it architecturally as well as with the interior style, then I would put forward those, those sort of points because it might not be the service that they're looking for, but I always just give as much as I can to help. And if it doesn't suit the budget, then it potentially could be phased. But with interiors, it takes a similar sort of stance. You know, I, I prefer minimalism. So, to not have chaos all over the place. It would be nice to have um, storage so that it's functional, accessible, um, and also looks good as well. It can all be factored in. And my main approach for interiors, it sounds a bit strange, but it's the lighting. I think lighting is hugely underrated. And a lot of projects that I've seen, they've got a beautiful new house or a new build or renovation and the lighting is almost commercial and too cold. And it seems like, you know, like opticians, I like working with layers of lighting. So for example, in this room alone, as much as it is dark, I've got three different lights on and you know, the window for the natural light. So it's, playing with those layers of lighting mm. and the layers of materials um, and almost telling a story through the space mm -hmm. and taking the clients through a journey. So for, for my interiors, for example, I won't just look at the visual elements. I will take into consideration how it feels in terms of comfort. So if it's like a, a sort of tile floor, I'll look at including a lot more soft furnishings to soften it up. Um, I also look into the smell because I think smell has, yeah. <laughs> um, smell just has such an impact. Um, this sort of stems back to my, my um, uni sort of experience as well. So I, I learned about phenomenology, which is sort of existentialism within architecture, interiors, and it works a lot with atmospheres, memory, lighting, um, and a lot that we associate with memory is smell. Mm. So I like to incorporate a scent within a room and tie it in with the interiors. So it feels like quite holistic. If someone, if someone wanted to start or, you know, wanted to go into interior designing, um, mm. what is the smallest possible thing that they could do or start? just to sort of navigate their way into interior designing? When it comes to interiors, I would definitely learn um, some form of CAD software. 
which is computer-aided design, so that you can draw floor plans, elevations, um, or, uh, or you could sort of complement it with um, a presentation software. So Adobe Creative Suite is by far the best, mm -hmm. um, especially with InDesign and Photoshop and Illustrator. Mm -hmm. they, they go really well together. So I'd and say just to learn the skills, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that to, vis to be able to visualise um, like a room or to be able to create something out of imagination? So with with those with those softwares themselves, the CAD software is perfect for working to scale. So to draw a floor plan to scale, I think is by far the most important part. Um, we always start our projects with surveys. So we will measure up each room and go into quite significant detail so that we can know exactly what we're working for in terms of the space. Um, that also aids quite well later down the line when it comes to the quantities. So if it's for an interiors, we can work out the square meterage of fabrics or wallpapers, floor finishes. Um, we work up um, the plans so you have a floor plan so you can see where the furniture's going and the finishes on the floor plan. Do you use the CAD to do all of that? Yeah, so the CAD software is great for everything that's to scale, all of the information that i mean you could technically get get away with not using any mm. software like that you could do it based on samples um but i i personally like to really get to understand the space um so i render my plans with the samples if that makes sense so oh so you can take a, a sample and actually put it onto put it on a wall yeah oh, okay yeah okay. Uh, so you can really get to see and especially when it's to scale you know exactly the proportions like the, mm. the heights that you're working to the you know chimney breast setting out and how you can detail around it mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of detail to go in there mm -hmm. um or there's the other way of working you know if you didn't know a CAD sort of if you didn't have a CAD skill you could work with the presentation side and really hone in on that and you know pull more samples together and more mood boards and quite tactile clients mm. love seeing like a tray of samples and um i recently bought like some new trays um i've got quite a big project coming up so i've bought all of my new trays um a labeling machine so you can label all of the samples i think organization is key um so that they understand exactly what you're presenting as well so do they come with, do the clients come with like an idea of what they want and i guess is it your job to sort of make that into something some do definitely um it always helps when a client has an idea and you know sends through or we discuss um their proposals so some don't even have an idea no no <laughs> So this, this project that I've got that starts Saturday, um, they, haven't, they don't have any plans. Mm. It's 28 rooms of us just figuring it out. And I think a lot of that we have to work with the building. So it's quite a beautiful building alone. That's so interesting. So for someone who is, you know, wants to move into this field, would they... Do you think it's best to get a degree first or do you think it's best to start perhaps an apprenticeship? Um, this is in terms of interior designing. 
I think I would definitely advise to go for a degree. Mm. However, if the person was to, you know, absolutely live and breathe interior design, but has never been to a college course or a, a degree or done a degree in interiors, if you had a portfolio that would display how much you, you know, you love that, they would also work with that, I think, definitely. Mm. You'd probably start from like a lower sort of position in the business, maybe shadowing quite a bit more to get to understand it. What's the most sort of challenging part in terms of working with a client? Is it Has there ever been a situation where you've made something and it's not gone down the way you expected it to? It, I'd say it's the budget element of, of a client brief. And I think that a lot of people don't really appreciate how expensive these projects can become. Um, but it's also quite difficult to tease out a, project, uh, a budget from a client because some people are quite price sensitive, so they wouldn't want to share that information. So um, it has been quite difficult sometimes, and especially when it comes to tendering for you know different products or systems, um, it can shock the clients quite a lot if they're not prepared for the expense of these beautiful finishes or you know architectural styles because there's a lot on Pinterest don't get me wrong you know when you, you sort of look at them and you think that's exactly how I want my house to go and I've done it myself um, I'm currently doing a renovation and I really wanted roof lights and I do it for so many clients it's always you know have a few roof lights here and and it comes to the point of, you know, the money and the numbers and I didn't have enough to include them. So they got value engineered out. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say the budget's probably the, the one that needs the most work when it comes to potential problems in a project, definitely. And also maybe um, the, the staging of the work. So I think sometimes people don't really appreciate the amount of lead time that you need to run a decent project mm. um so it could potentially be for planning permission or um to to get a decent build team together or other external consultants that need to come in mm. um so i think sometimes that people are quite keen to to get a project up and running but it does take some time to prepare it properly mm. interesting do you juggle multiple projects at the same time or is it one you split them in terms of years months so I've always run multiple projects at the same time but they're typically at different stages so within the architecture projects they're they're quite easy to juggle because they sort of last a certain amount of time and if it's a new build I'll typically give a longer lead time for the clients if it's a quick, you know, internal reconfiguration, then it wouldn't need as long as a new build. So I can sort of slot them in. Um, but at the moment, I think I've got 13 live projects that are demanding work from me. So it's a case of I've been learning programming um, so that I can program the projects in, uh, which is definitely helping to see where the time can be mm -hmm made up so yeah it's, it's been a learning curve but slowly getting there <laughs> yeah I can't imagine it 13 in one go that's incredible 
Yeah. <laughs> when you're when you're working on new builds, are you working with property developers in that in that aspect? Not always. No. Um, I have worked with developers in the past, mm-hmm. um, mainly for previous practices that I've worked with. But I've worked with more solo developers now. Okay. Um, rather than the big companies, you know, like mm-hmm. the larger sort of more established ones. But I would say that a lot of the new build clients are just typical private residential projects. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's is quite it the interesting. Case, is it the case that maybe they've found like a derelict building and they just want it, maybe they just want to take it down and bring it back up? Yeah, I mean, the majority of the new builds that we've worked on would be that situation. Mm-hmm. Like it's a um, a pocket of land with a sort of smaller potentially smaller project uh, build on it mm-hmm. and we typically if we can avoid demolishing the building we'll try and sort of keep it and work with the existing structure um, however there have been cases where we need to just sort of propose complete demolition and then start from a blank canvas but mm-hmm. yeah typically it is a, a sort of more derelict building or a building that needs a bit more love and the mm. attention so okay so if anyone's interested you can find emma at on instagram at emma core that's c-o-r-r underscore and on linkedin her name is emma core as well so she'll be happy to have a chat with you if need be if if there's people out there that really like are looking for some advice mm-hmm. and don't really know or they're potentially considering going into architecture and interiors or they don't know what they want to do but they know it's within construction i'd definitely be able to help hopefully or <laughs> give some advice well thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me <laughs> thanks again to my amazing guest for coming on let me know what your biggest takeaways were and i'll see you soon in the next episode bye